This is the story of an extraordinary attempt to reform the oldest organisation in the world, the Catholic Church. Over the next few years, Pope Francis is calling on each of the Church's 1.3 billion members to take part in an unprecedented renewal process. It's one that seeks to give everyone a say in the future of the Church. Regardless of how it turns out, this is the largest listening and consulting exercise ever to have been undertaken in human history, and it's certainly the biggest reform effort for the Catholic Church in decades. Some are even describing it as a revolution. A very different church is likely to emerge as a result of it. The process that Pope Francis is undertaking is called a synod, something which means literally walking together. My name is Christopher Lamb, and in this podcast series, I'm going to take you on a journey, a journey that has the potential to reshape the church and Christianity forever. Late last night, I was speaking to a senior Vatican official who said that the effort of the Synod is to speak to the church that doesn't go to church, to try and engage or reach a whole load of people who perhaps know nothing about what the church is about or know nothing really about the message of Christianity. One of the ways the Synod is likely to reform the church is by giving women new leadership roles. Synodality is moving Catholicism away from a governance model that is solely hierarchical and male-dominated. Sister Natalie Beckard has been chosen by Pope Francis to help run the global synod process. She is the first woman to hold her position at the Vatican's synod office, a role that is normally held by a bishop. We met in a cafe in Rome, just off St Peter's Square. And can we expect some turbulence, do you think, on the way? Is it going to be a bit unpredictable? Yes, of course, because if really we understand this uh, synodal process as a spiritual process, because synodality is about uh, listening to the spirit, so about discernment, that means you don't know yet what will be the journey. You are, uh, synodality is an open path, and you are open to the surprise of the spirits. So uh, that's why at some point it can be a little bit messy, you know, it's open. You can't master the journey if you are truly in this spiritual attitude uh, required for synodality. And uh, we're, we're here in the Vatican that is still very much a, a place of led by bishops and cardinals, very much male-dominated, but... Synodality is suggesting a much stronger role for women and you yourself have got this important role. What do you think it means for, for the role of women in the church? Well, I think it's rather clear that uh, a synodal church is a relational church and an inclusive church. So uh, it's an important topic, uh, the place and the role of women in a synodal church, but it's the same also for young people. Or, uh, and so it's also about finding ways for uh, a better shared governance, 
uh, to find ways to exercise the authorities that are less personal, that uh, invo uh, implies also teamwork. And uh, that's why we are on this path, you know, calling for more women leadership. That was a very strong call at the two last synod, and Pope is doing that also at the Curia. But it's mainly about involving all the people of God and all the diversity of the people of God uh, within a discernment process. So synodality is a, a, a synodal, in a synodal church, nobody should decide alone. Some people in the church are asking, why are we having a synod now? We're still battling with the global pandemic. There's the climate crisis. There's all sorts of day-to-day -day problems that the church faces and that must be addressed. However, the Catholic Church is also at a threshold moment in its history. The clerical sexual abuse scandals mark the church's biggest crisis in 500 years since the Reformation. Its structures and its model of leadership have all been heavily criticised and, in the light of the abuse crisis, found to have failed. As Pope Francis often says, when a crisis hits you, you either merge from it better or worse, but you never emerge the same. The synodal journey takes place within the backdrop and context of the abuse crisis, the dreadful cover-ups and the mishandling of cases. I'm here with uh, Father Hans Zollner, who is a leading figure in the church uh, in responding to clerical abuse scandals. So, Father Hans, why, why are synods a way to uh, offer maybe a roadmap for the church following these abuse scandals, which expose so many institutional and cultural failings within the church? I think... First, um, a synodal process uh, allows for people to speak out and this is necessary so that we talk to each other honestly about what we experience and how we feel um, because unfortunately there are not many channels for communication and not many fora where you can do that. And within the church, I mean, uh, in, in, in terms of where do lay people meet with bishops and where do uh, professors of theology meet uh, with the employees of certain uh, charitable institutions within the church or school directors and so forth. So it can be a platform in which we share how much the abuse crisis, the double crisis, the crisis um, that um, comes about because of the abuse committed by clergy and lay people but also the, the crisis because of the lack of trust in leadership affects everybody in one way or another uh, when we say we are members of the Catholic Church. So honesty, sincerity in sharing how we feel, how we perceive that and how it affects our understanding of the Church, our image of God and our uh, belief um, and our faith. And this is, of course, um, most important uh, for survivors of abuse who, who, who want to share within such a setting their, uh, their wounds, uh, their experiences um, of being abused, having been abused, and uh, of 
um, having been abused a second time, but many times um, when it comes to uh, how they they were dealt with, how they were treated in church processes, in uh, dealings with the uh, administrative part. And then secondly, I believe it is important that we draw conclusions from um, such an open conversation and sharing uh, with regard to our common responsibility, those who are in positions uh, of leadership within the church and lay people, because we are all members of one church and at least um, to some extent we, we have a common understanding and a common uh, belonging to that church and and that means also to some extent also a, a common responsibility of for how we act and how we uh, deal with the allegations um, of abuse and uh, the the mishandling of cases but also um, coming to deeper questions uh, about um, how power is exercised understood uh, within the church um, how people who are bishops uh, or in other uh, similar positions of power in the church live that out, how they share the power, but also how um, uh, lay people uh, and and priests and religious, uh, um, all different um, um, types of membership, membership within the church, um, also call on the church uh, and its leadership uh, that this power is um, exercised in a way that is more uh, following the example of Christ, that is more um, um, an example of sharing power and not uh, um, trying to impose oneself, and that is also aware of the limits and limitations that are necessary within um, any kind of role and position. Okay. And would you say that this these synods and this synod process is really quite urgent given that the uh, abuse scandals as you say it's not just that the crime of abuse took place but it, that it was not handled correctly would you say the synod is urgent in, in that respect there is an absolute urgency in how we uh, become aware of the gravity of the situation and of the necessity to respond. And in that uh, way, I hope that any kind of synodal process, be it in Australia, in Ireland, in Germany, or now at the level of the Universal Church with the Synod on Synodality, really takes on this very important and urgent issue. This monumental task of renewal that the Pope has embarked upon is likely to face opposition. Many bishops, including cardinals, are not sure about what Francis is doing. Some are likely to resist, others just ignore the Synod. Holy Father, they'll say, this is a lovely idea, but I just haven't got time. While some of those in power may be skeptical of synodality, younger Catholics particularly those outside of Europe and the United States, are showing enthusiasm about the process. 
Agatha Natania, who is from Indonesia, was in Rome for the Synod launch. In my country, it's uh, kind of different because like dialogue, it's already uh, a lot in Indonesia because we are very heterogeneous. We have multi-ethnic and multicultural. So uh, interfaith dialogue, it's one of the, the thing that we always uh, do. So um, with this, uh, but like as a Catholic, uh, we are minority compared to the others so like it will bring so much joy if i can tell to the catholic youths who sometimes feel maybe left out because we feel like minority we are excluded from every part but with the spirit of synodality of working together um i can inspire i can ask the others to be you know get inspired that no no worries that even though it's difficult but it's the, the journey together there are so many difficulties but the young people can can support each other to to face this it's it's more difficult i think for europe and other countries that maybe it doesn't really have dialogue or maybe doesn't have the background of inter many cultures If the synodal process is going to be a success, it's not going to be in Rome, but on the ground in churches in various parts of the world. I'm here at the Bishop's Conference offices in London to hear from someone who is working to try and make the synodal vision a reality. So I'm here with Father Jan Novotnik, who is the Director of Mission for the Bishops' Conference of England and Wales and is very involved in what the Church in England and Wales is doing. So, Father Jan, what is a synod? So a synod is basically a council in the Church, and traditionally councils have involved bishops who've come together from the very beginning of the church, really, in the Acts of the Apostles um, at the Council of Jerusalem. Um, and throughout the centuries, we can think about all the ecumenical councils, the most recently being um, the Second Vatican Council. Um, but generally, a synod is a gathering, um, generally, of, of bishops. Um, historically, that's how we've understood the word synod. But this is a bit different because it's involving not just bishops, but, but everyone. Indeed. So um, after the Second Vatican Council, um, Pope Paul VI wanted to find a mechanism whereby he could continue in some way the discussions that took place at the Second Vatican Council. So he instituted what is now called the Synod of Bishops, which has a structure and a secretariat in Rome. And it began in 1965 as a vehicle immediately after the Council, whereby the Pope could call bishops from the different countries to Rome to discuss the important issues for the Church. And these have continued since that time until the present day. The pontificate of Pope Francis has changed the focus a little bit, and they're not just meant to be places where we gather bishops and theologians, but we'll recall the most recent synods um, for the whole church on young people and on the family, where Pope Francis has began a consultation with people about what is important to them. So it's them the people of God feeding into um, the process as well. Now with this new synod um, preparing for 2023, um, Pope Francis has asked for a consultation of the whole church. So not just bishops, priests or deacons or religious, 
but the whole lay faithful, so the whole church together. So that's what makes it different. So it sounds quite almost revolutionary. Revolutionary in the sense that it's it's certainly new and it's certainly a very wide consultation process. So the hope, I think, in Pope Francis's mind is that this consultation would happen in every diocese across the whole world, not just as a diocesan function, but actually in each parish. So here in England and Wales, I know that the bishops are really inviting every parishioner to, to have a stake in some way in this. So in some sense, yeah, it is revolutionary because it's an invitation for the whole church to, to speak, but also to listen, to discern what God is saying to the church at the moment. And can we also say it's almost going back or trying to rediscover what the church really is all about? Yeah, I think we could say that. I've studied ecclesiology, so I've studied the church over the last few years. Um, and, you know, one sense, the church is the gathering of the people. So in the Old Testament, um, the people gathered. In, in the New Testament, um, this was extended, obviously, by Jesus Christ, who gathered his first disciples around him, the apostles and the group that traveled with him. And I think what is happening at the moment is a rediscovery of a phrase which was very in vogue at the Second Vatican Council, which was new to its teaching on the church, was to talk about the people of God. Um, and that meant the whole people of God. So all the baptized clergy and lay people together. So I think, yeah, this is something quite, quite new. And why is this important now at this moment? Well, an answer to that is why not now, actually. I think um, coming out of a pandemic, hopefully, um, is a good time for us to assess where we are. Um, not just as a church, but as nations trying to, to get through how we've looked after the most weak and vulnerable in society, how we've cared for the elderly, um, how our health systems, you know, how people have really functioned in the time of pandemic. And the church always speaks to a context. It doesn't speak to a vacuum, but looks to people's lives. So I think what a synod on synodality, as some people have called it, is to, to pair back to, you know, what is God saying to his church at the moment? Um, and traditionally, we may think, well, does God only reveal that to the bishops or, or to the Pope? Um, well, not necessarily. Of course, everyone has an option to understand, you know, what God is saying in the context of their lives. And that's what we want to, to, to share with each other. The other thing I would say is that, you know, we're 60 years on from the Second Vatican Council. I personally think this is the beginning of us fulfilling or receiving or beginning to try and appreciate even more deeply the ecclesiological teaching of the Second Vatican Council. So now is, is a good time. And what happens if people say, look, we want the church to change certain things. We want the church to look at married priests, the role of women, same-sex relationships. How is that going to be uh, dealt with by the Synod? Is the Synod going to lead to change in this kind of area, these um, areas? And again, a very interesting and... Uh, very up to the mark question. Um, I think, you know, 
it goes to the both the apprehension of some people who think that the synod is just about everything's up for grabs, everything's going to change, to those who think, great, this is the moment where um, things are going to change and we're going to have some very radical reforms in the church. Um, I don't see it in that way personally. I think, you know, change does happen in the church at disciplines. You know, we talk about not having married clergy, but here in England and Wales, we have quite a lot of married clergy. Um, and also, you know, in Eastern Rite Catholicism, there's a lot of married clergy. Um, so there are differences already in the discipline of the church. So I'm not expecting major change, but what I think I am expecting is for all of us to, to have a stake really in what is our baptismal vocation, that you know we're all called to share in the mission of the church. Um, and I think personally for far too long, um, only certain areas of the church have felt that they have a stake in that, or perhaps people have felt that it's not for them. Whereas now the distinct change is that everyone is being asked to be responsible as a baptized member of the church. It sounds really quite exciting and a kind of game-changing moment in the history of the church. But yet we hear that there are people who are, who are apprehensive or even opposed to this. Mm. What's going on there? Well, one can understand it because I think change often brings a certain amount of apprehension or fear. Um, and the change or thinking that, you know, things are going to radically change when you have a pope who says... He wants to consult with the, the lay faithful across the whole church. Um, you know, well, then there will be a wide difference of opinion, perhaps, and certainly wide ranging views on how the church impacts on people's lives. Um, so I can understand that fear and apprehension, but we're not doing that just saying to people, oh, just tell us what you think about the church. Is this good? Is this bad? But it's connected with um, with prayer, that this is also a spiritual. I say also, I mean, it is predominantly a spiritual exercise. We're listening to each other, but we're predominantly um, rooted in the scriptures and asking the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, um, to speak to our hearts, to, to help us to understand what he is saying to the context of our lives. Um, and hopefully, you know, that spirit of consolation, that spirit of discernment will teach us that we do have to change if we're going to grow in our faith and love the Lord. All of us in our lives every day, you know, there are things about my life that need to change. Perhaps I need to be a bit patient. Perhaps I need to listen more to other people. Perhaps I need to, to be a bit dil more diligent in my work. Um, we all have to change. Um, and that fear of change sometimes stops us from walking on that first step. And what are your hopes and predictions for this process for Catholics and, and Christians in, in England and Wales? Um, predictions um, are interesting. Let's start with hopes first. Hopes, I would say, is that, and I've seen it already and I've heard it already, that it is beginning a conversation. So priests and people together, bishops with their priests, bishops with the members of parishes and communities across this country are already beginning to talk to each other. 
and thinking, we were talking about the pandemic, about what it's been like to live through the pandemic, what have been some of those experiences, how might we grow and change through what we've experienced, how might we become more able to respond to what Jesus is saying to his church. So if we're beginning to see that already, that would be one of my hopes, that that particularly continues to grow. But I'd also say that, you know, part of this process is about um, enabling everyone to have a voice. So one of my hopes is that, you know, every person feels that they've got both something to contribute to this process, but also that they will be heard. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, when we hear things um, as priests, and certainly when our bishops hear things, that they're going to think everything is you know, correct, because we might need at times to, to listen to each other to say, actually, what I'm thinking is not on the right track. And that might be as much, dare one say it, for a lay person or a bishop to hear that, um, because what keeps us um, in that truth is by that prayer to the Holy Spirit and discerning it in the light of what the church is already about, its tradition rooted in the scriptures and its teaching. And your predictions? Um, predictions, um, gosh, you've got me on the spot now. <laughs> I, I predict that this could be, if we really allow the Holy Spirit into our lives, a new way of us being the church in this new millennium. Pope Francis in 2015, when he was commenting on the anniversary of the Synod of Bishops, the setting up of the Synod of Bishops, said that God wants, in this third millennium, the church to be synodal. So I predict that this is the beginning of that. It will take time. The church moves slowly at times. But I think a prediction will be that this will be a new way of being the church, a new way of I almost want to say, you know, the governance of the life of the church. Um, and I think, yeah, this could actually be the beginning of that. The church moves slowly, but Pope Francis wants to pick up the pace of reform. Staying still is not an option. This is like... A COP26 moment. Reforms are urgent now, but they're also necessary to ensure there is a viable church for future generations. Austin Ivory, you've been inside the Synod Hall. You've been taking part in this process. You followed it closely and you know Pope Francis is thinking and you know him very well. How has this impacted you and what do you think the impact is going to be on the church? Well, I think personally, I don't think I've ever been as hopeful or as excited in my Catholic life as now. I was too young like you, Chris, for the Second Vatican Council, but I think this is must of what it felt like. Um, of course, it doesn't feel like that yet. It's going to take time for the spirit to kick in, but I think it will. And I think this is going to become the most transformative event in the church of our lifetime. And, you know, as you and I have said, it's about permanently embedding, if you like, the dynamic of Vatican II into the life of the church. And I think the church as a result will be, well, a much more dynamic, holy, uh, listening, welcoming place. And uh, that's really, it will become the sign that it's supposed to be in humanity. The Second Vatican Council gave a blueprint for the contemporary church. 
it moved the church away from seeing itself as a kind of fortress, which looked out at the world with suspicion or even hostility, and instead envisaged the model of the church as the people. The council also brought the church closer to other Christians and opened the doors to dialogue with other religions. This synod emerges out of Vatican II and is in many ways an implementation of the Council. Like Vatican II, the Synod seeks to link the Church of today with the spirit of early Christianity and to bring the Gospels of Jesus Christ into the centre of everything the Church does. In this way, it is a radical reform as it is taking the Church back to its roots. Francis repeatedly talks about his pontificate being the implementation of the council's vision of the church as the people of God. He's talked about the church's structure as an inverted pyramid with the bishops and the cardinals at the bottom in service to the people who are at the top. The choir sings as Pope Francis uh, makes his entrance into the basilica. The cardinals uh, surrounding the altar, and behind that the priests, and behind that the people. But I wonder if, when this process is all over, it may be that the people are at the front, and the bishops, priests, and cardinals at the back. At least that seems to me to be the vision that Francis wants to see in the church. The journey is only just beginning.